Hi, everybody, and welcome to this week's edition of A Trophy Life, the official podcast of the Naismith Trophy. This is Bob Rathman coming to you from Atlanta, hoping all is well in your world. A great show for you this week. My guest is going to be Chris Spatola of ESPN on the ACC Network. We'll be checking in with Chris in a moment for all things college basketball. I want to remind you about our handles on social media at Naismith Trophy to follow great content there from us on Instagram and on Twitter. And lately, we're starting to post a lot of great happy birthday pictures of some of our former award winners, great photos from years past, a lot of fun with those. Check them out, at Naismith Trophy. And again, that's on Instagram and on Twitter. And you can follow me, too, at Bob Rathbun TV. Now, on to this week's news and notes presented by Jersey Mike's. And we start with the women's college basketball poll with a tip of the hat to the Tennessee Lady Volunteers. They are back in the top ten for the first time in nearly three years in this week at number nine. South Carolina, a unanimous number one. NC State, number two. Then it's UConn, Stanford, and Baylor rounding out the top five. On the men's side, a new number one, Purdue. In fact, it's the first time in Boilermaker history that Purdue has been number one in the polls. They are 8-0 after last week knocking off Florida State and Iowa. Baylor at 8-0 moves up to number two. Duke after losing to Ohio State, now number three. UCLA number four. And Gonzaga drops down to number five. They lost to Alabama last weekend in the Battle of Seattle. And our heart goes out to Paige Beckers of UConn. Our Jersey Mike's Naismith Player of the Year last year as a freshman in women's college basketball, out six to eight weeks with a left knee fracture. It was painful to see, but Paige, we wish you all the best and we'll know it's going to be a full and speedy recovery for you. And she had right ankle surgery in April, so a tough blow for her and a tough blow for UConn, but we're looking forward to having her bounce back just as soon as possible. Now on to our what to watch for this week and some of the big games that are coming up. We'll start with the women. Uh, We mentioned Connecticut. They are in Atlanta on Thursday night to take on Georgia Tech. And then Sunday, kind of several big games. The ESPN Jimmy V Classic will feature number 14 Kentucky at number 7 Louisville. You know that's going to be good. Number 8 Maryland is at number 1 South Carolina. And Indiana at Ohio State, also two ranked teams. That's Sunday evening. On the men's side, Thursday night, the Big East Big 12 battle will be on FS1. Number 7, Texas, takes on number 23, Seton Hall in Newark, New Jersey. Newly minted number 1, Purdue, will play at Rutgers. You can watch that one on the Big Ten Network. And on ESPN at 9 Eastern Thursday night, what a game. Intrastate rivals Iowa and Iowa State meet. Iowa State is unbeaten at 8-0. They host the game this year. Iowa State ranked number 17. And the big one on Sunday in Waco as Baylor plays host to Villanova. Coming up this weekend right here in Atlanta, the Holiday Hoops Giving. Four games at State Farm Arena feature LSU going up against Georgia Tech. Nebraska takes on Auburn, Drake, and Clemson, and Western Kentucky against Ole Miss. And then, for those of us here in the East, we have got to stay up late again. 10 o'clock game, number 14 Houston at number 9 Alabama. Can't wait to watch that one. When we come back, my conversation this week with Chris Spatola of ESPN and the ACC Network But first, this from Jersey Mike's. Jersey Mike's would like to dedicate the next three seconds to our new grilled portobello mushroom and Swiss sub. 
Trust us, it tastes good too. Because fresh ingredients make a sub above. A real pleasure to have with us on the podcast this week, Chris Patola from the ACC Network, ESPN. And we're going to talk about our favorite subject, college hoops. And Chris, it's great to have you on the podcast this week. Thank you so much for taking time. My pleasure, Bob. It's great to speak with you. You know, I have been, I I saw my first ACC tournament in 1971. I was a junior in high school. North Carolina played South Carolina. It was the Gamecocks' last game as a member of the ACC, and I have been broadcasting games in the league first with ESPN in 1987 and with the syndicated package since 1988. And never, Chris, have I seen anything like I'm seeing right now. Uh, what has happened to our beloved ACC? You know, it's a great question, Bob. It's uh, for for fans like you, and and you know, obviously, I've spent some time in the league. It's it's been a disappointing. You know, really, two years, uh, in all honesty. I mean, you go back, obviously, last year was a bizarre year because of COVID, but it was not a great year for the league last year, uh, and it has bled into this season. Um, I think there's, you know, there's probably a, 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 the biggest reason, Bob, I think, is, you know, it's a blessing and a curse. I mean, this league has had a ton of guys drafted. Uh, they have, you know, they in the SEC have had the greatest number of first-round picks over the last, I think it's five years. Um, and, and when you're turning that type of talent over, uh, it's going gonna, it's gonna to take a hit. You know, the league is going to take a hit, particularly at the top, those teams that traffic in those, you know, those high-end kids. So, you know, I think that's, that, there's a big part of that that has played into it. Um, I think in the middle part of the league, you know, you've, you've got some, some programs that have had some coach turnover or trying to figure out exactly, you know, what identity they, they are trying to bring. Um, but it has not uh, it has not been a, a good couple years uh, for, for the ACC, for sure. We're recording this on Wednesday morning. So last night we saw Virginia go over to Harrisonburg and, and lose to James Madison. Uh, they've also had a couple of stumbles at home, uh, most notably to Navy. We watched Syracuse last night play a decent first half, and then Villanova just flattened them in the second half. And so there were just a, a couple of more examples. Let's flip it, though, Chris, and talk about a couple of clubs that, that might be on the up and up. And I think Wake Forest might be one of those teams after what they did in Blacksburg over the weekend. Yeah, they are. You know, let's start from this idea that, that Steve Forbes can really coach. You know, there's a reason that he was a hot name when, when Wake went and got him from, um, from East Tennessee State, you know, he, he did a really nice job. And one of the things he did really well there, Bob, is, is he, he understood the transfer market. He understood at, at East Tennessee that he was going to have to really be a player in that market. Um, and it was, I think, one of the things that attracted uh, the AD, John Curry, to, to Steve is not only his, his X and O acumen, but his ability to be a player. And, and that's what you're seeing with this version of this team. You know, Alondis Williams – uh, got a transfer they got out of Oklahoma, and I called a lot of Big 12 games over the last few years. I saw a lot of Oklahoma basketball. This is the best I've seen Alondis Williams play. You know, he's really, Steve, I think, has kind of set him loose. He's scoring the basketball better, so he's been a great addition. Jake LaRavia, the kid out of Indiana State, another transfer uh, who has flourished so far under Steve Forbes. And then uh, they've got a little guard, a, a really talented kid named Davian Williamson, who came from uh, East Tennessee with Steve to, to play at Wake, and, and he's, a, he's a really good player. You know, so you've got, you've got a lot of experience 
uh, with those guys. And, and Steve Forbes has done a, a really nice job, I think, putting those pieces together. You know, that win over Virginia Tech uh, was, was massive. You know, I think not only just the fact they beat them, but the fact that they beat them the way in which they did. It's been a great start to the year for, for Wake. Chris, when you say Steve Forbes has got a handle on the transfer, what are some of the key things that you think goes into that? Because, you know, they're in this day and age in college athletics, not just basketball, I mean, the transfer portal, the door is revolving 24 hours a day. So it's a different time. Why... What has enabled Steve to to kind of navigate these waters where maybe some other schools haven't been able to be successful? You know, it's a great question, and I think this is where, you know, coaches as – look, this is the future of of college basketball. I mean, it is now. Like, this idea of loading up on five-star kids and and building for the future – is gone. I mean, that, that is not happening anymore. Now, look, you're not going to turn a five-star kid away, but the idea of actively pursuing high school players in bulk is gone. Like, you, you, have to, the, you have to have proven commodities. You have to have guys who have played college basketball and, and you know, in, in, in a lot of cases would be on their second chance and, and are trying to, you know, to, to – have themselves a, a year or two in your program as a transfer. The thing that Steve has done, and I think this is where coaches are, are figuring this out, Bob, is it's not about just accruing talent. It's not about just going into the portal and, and taking a kid because he's in there and, and because he put up great numbers at you know Arizona State. You've got to get guys who fit your identity, guys who were productive in their previous place, like an Alondis Williams for Wake, but, but a guy that fits the way in which you want to play. And Steve Forbes, it's always been about how they're going to guard you. Uh, he's, he's always had rugged kids who fit that profile, fit his identity, and then he's able to unleash them a little bit offensively. So I, I think he has figured, figured out, Bob, where it's not just about going into that portal and getting the best players available. It's about going in there and getting good players who fit what you want to do both culturally and schematically. Uh, let's skip around the country. Um, it's kind of crazy to me that Purdue, first time in history, they've been voted the number one team in the country with their history and tradition. But as we sit here on this Wednesday morning, Chris, I'm not sure they're the best team in the Big Ten. I really like Illinois. What do you think about what you see over there? Yeah, look, I I, I would uh, I see that a little bit differently. Uh, I think Purdue right now is the best team in the country, Bob, which I, by by default um, would probably make them the best team in the Big Ten. But I mean, look, that league is going to be a grind. I think it's been a little bit down. Um, I think playing without Kofi Coburn uh, because of his suspension early in the year, I thought it put Illinois a little bit behind the power curve. And then their play at the point guard position and Andre Corbello hasn't been as good as we expected. Uh, but I think they'll continue to get better, like I think Michigan will continue to get better. Um, but, you know, the thing with Purdue, Bob, is, you know, we were just talking about recruiting. You know, that third tier, you know, so you've got the transfer portal, you've got high school kids, that third tier of recruiting is retention. Like, keeping a player in your program is just as good as getting a player from the portal or from high school, and that's what Matt Painter was able to do. You know, they've got – They've got two really outstanding big kids in Trevion Williams and Zach Eady, which you're not going to play them together a lot, but it basically affords, and Bob, you know how important this is, it affords Matt Painter the opportunity to put one of the best rebounders in the country on the floor at all times. 
with both of those kids. They've got a really talented young player in Jaden Ivey who has taken his game to the next level. They've got really good guard play. A kid, Aaron Thompson, I think has been really effective for them. Um, and then you combine that with a coach that we know, Bob. I mean, he's a guy who's going to really get after you defensively. He's got that Gene Cady DNA. Uh, he's just built a really nice little culture there. And the fact that they've been able to keep so many guys from a good team last year into this season, it's made them one of the deepest teams in the country. And I think that depth has really had an impact. So I think as we sit here now and, you know, look, it's still early and there are other good teams out there. I, I think Purdue is probably the best team in the country. Zach Eady looks like a new person. I yeah, he does. He he's a monster. You know, this is a kid who grew up, he's Canadian, Bob, and he's a kid who grew up playing hockey. And so he's more athletic than I think people expect. You know, there's, and, and by the way, it also, it tells you that there's a ceiling there that I don't think he's really scratching. Like this kid, you're going to end up seeing him play in the NBA at some point. And, you know, could he end up being a Yao Ming? He's probably not that skilled offensively, but he is certainly, he's reminiscent of Yao because, I mean, you know this as well as anybody. The thing with Yao was he was more athletic than anybody we had seen at that size. Now he was 7'6", 87'3", but still the ability of Edie to move. He plays hard. He's got a motor. So he's not just making plays because he's 7'3 and, and 300 pounds. He's making plays because he plays hard. So he's making plays outside of his area. Uh, this is a kid who's going to play in the NBA at some point and I think is only scratching the surface with his potential. Chris, let me ask you about the Pac-12. We know UCLA from their run last year um, and, and all the people that they have back. But I wanted to get your take on Southern Cal and Arizona. To me, they strike me as a as a bit surprising right now. How do you see the Pac-12? Yeah, you know, it's a, it's a great point. Of course, Arizona now with Tommy Lloyd, uh, who was an assistant coach for Mark Few for many, many years. Um, he has been quick to point out that the cupboard was not there when he took over at Arizona this, this summer, um, which I think more coaches who take over jobs should admit. Uh, if if the cupboard is not there. Sean Miller left a lot of talent there. So, you know, you start from that premise. I really like this Arizona team. You know, they've got a kid, Azulis Tubelis, who's had a really good start to the year, a kid named Christian Coloco, who's incredibly talented. Um, they're just, you know what they are, Bob? They, they are incredibly athletic. They're really long. Uh, they're really physical. But they are playing offense a little bit. They don't have quite the talent that Gonzaga has had over the years. Yet, um, they have raw talent, but what they're doing is they are moving and cutting and passing, uh, which has been reminiscent of that Gonzaga program, and I think Tommy Lloyd has brought that. They're only going to get better. Like, I, I think, you know, I think we know who UCLA is at this point, um, but I think Arizona probably has the highest ceiling right now in that league, and you mentioned USC. Uh, this is another program that brought some guys back you know, and Isaiah Mobley, Evan Mobley's brother, um, Boogie Ellis, who transferred in from uh, from Memphis, who, who's a, a talented player and a, and a pretty good scorer. Um, so, look, I think this league it, this league has certainly been down. Um, I don't think this league it's probably five, you know sixth in the in the uh, the Power Six right now in college basketball. 
Uh, but those three teams at the top are going to have a potential that I think have really good seasons. You mentioned Memphis, and what a disappointing start uh, for the Tigers. So much was expected of this team, and, and boy, they, they've got some problems. They certainly do. Um, and, you know, I think it's fair to start asking some questions about how Penny Hardaway is building that program. They have recruited well, Bob. The problem is they've got a lot of disparate parts guys who don't play well together, and, and even the guys who have stayed through that program, you know, look, they've lost guys to the draft, James Wiseman being, you know, probably the biggest example. So, so he's recruited well. They've had guys come in. Um, Wiseman, of course, only played three games, but they've had other guys come into that program uh, who were highly regarded coming out of high school, even coming out of that Memphis area, and it just hasn't pan, panned out. Um, they've been very good defensively, which is crazy given how, you know, they haven't really played well. They haven't made the tournament. Like, with how well they've recruited and, and how much potential they've had, you know, it's pretty easy if we get down to it. You know, it's pretty easy, you know, the 68 teams that make the NCAA tournament. If you're moderately good, you should be able to make the tournament, and they haven't. And it's, it's in large part – Bob, because of that offensive end, you know, they've got all of these individual pieces, these talented players, they turn the ball over at a really high level, like an unsustainable level. They don't really have an identity offensively. And, and so as good as their defense has been at times, their offense has really hurt them, uh, and they just haven't been able to establish any continuity, even with their coaching staff. I mean, it's been a revolving door of assistant coaches, Bob, for, for Penny Hardaway. Now he's got Larry Brown. He's got Rasheed Wallace. You know, is that the answer? I don't know. It certainly hasn't been in the early going of this season. Let's switch uh, for a second to the SEC. A, a lot of preseason conjecture about Kentucky being back, and that's, I think, going to prove out. But, boy, I watched that Alabama-Gonzaga game the other night. Holy smokes, is Alabama athletic, and Jaden Shackelford went crazy in that game. That's impressive. Yeah, they're, they're – um... You know, it's a team that had a fantastic year last year. They lost one of the best players in the country and a kid named Herb Jones. Um, and I think it impacted their defense early in the year. You know, they look, they're going to get up and down. That's what Nate Oates does. Uh, you mentioned their athleticism. They're, they're really long, um, and they play fast. The thing that, that I thought they really did well last year um, that separated them was their defense. They guarded. I think they're getting back to that. I called that tournament down in Orlando. I, I saw them lose to Iona in the first game of that tournament, um, and they just couldn't guard anybody. You know, they, they weren't defending at the level that they were last year. They defended Gonzaga, you know, and, and I think that's been the difference in their resurgence this year. But that league, like I think right now as you and I sit here and talk, I think the Big 12 is still the best conference. But the SEC is right there and may potentially have a higher ceiling. Like Alabama's good. Kentucky is going to be really good by the end of the year. Arkansas is still undefeated. Arkansas is a really good team. Auburn plays an exciting brand of basketball. They've got a really talented freshman in Jabari Smith. I think Florida has the potential to have a really good year. So, you know, in terms of conferences, Bob, I think by the end of the season, we may be talking about the SEC as being the best. And they're going to have a lot of teams that have the potential to get into that NCAA tournament. Throw LSU into the mix, too, right? LSU, Ole Miss got a big win the other day. Um, you know, I think Mississippi State, I think Ben Howland has a team that, that could potentially make the tournament. So, yeah, that, you know, the bottom of the league is not very good. Um, but, but that middle of the league is, 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 I think, going to be very good. And, 
you know, we'll see if an, if a Missouri – I've got Missouri this weekend against Kansas. We'll, we'll see if a Missouri can sort of get their act together and push into that middle part of the league. Missouri, of course, a tournament team last year. So, yeah, there, there's a lot of teams that have a lot of room for growth. All right. You've been so gracious with your time. We appreciate it. This is the Naismith Award podcast, so we got to ask you about the top players. Uh, give us just a top of the head uh, what you've seen and, and what you anticipate seeing for the uh, Player of the Year awards at the end, the top guys that you've seen. Yeah, it's been, a, it's been a very competitive, I think, early part of this year. You know, Drew Timmy jumped out of the box having 37 in that game against Texas. Um, I, I think he is probably still the front runner, but it's, it's you know, you know, he's come back to earth a little bit. And, and you know, obviously the freshman at Duke, Pan Bancaro, is going to be in that conversation. Um, you know, I think a Johnny Juzang has had a, a really good start to the year. Oscar Shibwe at Kentucky is putting up monster numbers, uh, particularly on the glass. Um, you know, the freshman at Tennessee, Kennedy Chandler, uh, you know, they end up losing losing last night to Texas Tech, but but he's had a really good, good start to the year. Ochai Abaji, you know, we saw him in the Champions Classic uh, go off against Michigan State. Uh, he was leading the country in scoring at one point. Uh, so that's, you know, E.J. Liddell has had as good a start to the year as anybody, really, in terms of body of work, been really one of the more consistent players in the country, Bob. So you got to, you know, there's a few names I would throw out uh, of guys who have great start to the years. And um, it's a, I think it's a more talented field this year. I think this Naismith Award, Bob, is going to be as competitive by the end of the season as, as it has ever been, uh, just because we had a lot of really talented players come back from last year to this year. And so you got a very diverse field. And that's what we love about this, shining a light on all these great players and so much fun to watch them all season long and develop toward that uh, end of the season. But not only what they do individually, but how they lead their teams. It's so much fun. And and you got the best seat in the house, brother. Uh, we love watching you and hearing your insights. And thank you so much for joining us, Chris. We really appreciate it. Bob, it's, it's my pleasure. It's always great to talk to you. Chris, thank you very much. And once again, follow Chris on Twitter at Chris underscore Spatola, S-P-A-T-O-L-A. And you can catch him on Sirius XM channel 371 weekdays, 3 to 6. That's the ACC network on Sirius XM. Thank you, Chris. Also want to remind you about our handle, at Naismith Trophy for Instagram and Twitter. We also put out show alerts when the podcast is updated, so you'll be able to get that if you subscribe. And we encourage you to do that. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts, get great weekly content. Like our good friend John Rothstein says, we're here 52 weeks out of the calendar year. And we've got great guests, great interviews, and a lot of great content as we award the most prestigious awards in college and high school basketball right here. That's it for a Trophy Life podcast this week. Until next, Bob Rathman from all of us at the Naismith Trophy Awards. So long.